And uh, what we've been doing is we've been going through the series called Revisioning. And as we've gone through it, the first week we focused uh, primarily on our own lives. How can we uh, become more dedicated in our personal lives? And this whole idea of revisioning is not just something we want to do as a church. It's something we want to apply to every aspect of our lives. That sometimes, after a while, uh, we get kind of in a rut, so to speak, uh, personally, in our, in our marriages, in our relationships with uh, our families, and our relationships with others. And so sometimes we have to kind of cast a new vision. We have to kind of revive what was once vibrant within us. And so um, for us personally, we focus on that the first week. The next week we talked about our homes. And uh, last week um, would encourage you to go online and check out the message. Um, I know not everyone is rushing out to hear a message on giving, but uh, if you do really want to hear a message on giving, Tim gave a good one last week, and you can go to our website and catch up on that um, as well. And today we're going to talk about the aspect of our community, the way that we relate to our community, and uh, everything's going to kind of lead towards next week. And and so you're kind of going to get a little tease this week of where we're going next week. Um, But it's the idea of community. It's the idea of how do we impact the world that's around us. And I want to begin with a quote that I came across a few years ago. Um, And this was a a random tweet that I saw uh, from a guy who's a pastor in the uh, Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill area named J.D. Greer. And he talked about the Alamo. Um, Most of y'all not if you know what the Alamo is. Everybody kind of have an idea of what the Alamo is. Um, And this is what he said about the Alamo, and this has always stuck with me over the years. And it's that the Alamo, first a mission, then a battlefield, now a monument. First a mission, then a battlefield, now a monument. And this is the part that struck me. He says it's a metaphor for many churches. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that as we go through this message, that you would just open our eyes for your desires and your heart for the community that surrounds us. And so, Lord, I pray that that during this time of of just studying your word together and and seeking your will for our lives as a church, um, that you would speak to each one of us uh, and guide us both individually and corporately in the way that you would have us go. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so there's the idea before us that the Alamo was first a mission, then a battlefield, now a monument. And, and he says that that's a metaphor for many churches. And for those of you who've been around this church for a while, you might have even seen us go through some of those different phases. Um, some of you might remember some times along the way where it felt like we were in a battlefield. But the goal is not to wind up like the Alamo, not to wind up as a monument. And as I was thinking about this, I was kind of thinking about how the church, the big church, global church, has kind of changed over the past several hundred years. If you were to go back um, 200, all the way back to about 500 years ago, the church and people that were part of the church were an integral part of society, and they were influential within society. In fact, if you go back to a lot of the classic art 
and music. A lot of them were commissioned by and wrote or, or did their artwork for the glory of God. Um, a lot of it was done specifically for the glory of God, and we go and we tour museums all over the world to look at these things. We go to orchestra productions in every high school and every middle school. They have productions of music, and they pull from the composers of those day, many of those compositions being written specifically for the glory of God. And it was that there was kind of this ebb and flow, so to speak. There was kind of this flow between the church life and the secular world, where there didn't seem to be this dividing line between them. If you go back in our own country uh, 100 to 150 years ago, uh, in most communities, the pastor would have some sort of um, deep authority within the community, because a lot of times the pastor would be one of the most educated people within the community. And so a lot of pastors would have this kind of authority over the community. There would be a voice in the community. And we still see that some today, uh, but people have gotten smarter and more people have gotten educated, and uh, y'all question what we say sometimes, uh, which is a good thing. But that role has changed. It used to be that the church in American communities was the center of life for the community. Uh, And that was a way that the community identified with one another, what was around the hub of whatever the central church was. And, And times have slowly changed, and slowly the church has kind of created its own subculture, uh, I, I like the term ghettoization. Uh, I don't know if that's an actual word, but ghettoization basically means that Christians have kind of created their own subculture where we do Christian things. We, ha- we have uh, music that's Christian only. We have things that we do that are Christian only. And there seems to be much more of a dividing line between what we do as the church and what actually goes on in the world. And the difficulty of that is it's a lot harder to have an impact in the community around us when we have those dividing lines up, when we have those things that separate us, where we have these walls between secular and spiritual, uh, worldly and Christian. And so part of our challenge as we move forward as a church in America, not, not just talking about Martha Bowman, but just kind of thinking about the church as a whole is how do we continue to have an impact in the world around us when the church no longer has the voice it once had? How do we have a voice for change? How do we make a positive impact on the world around us when we no longer have the voice that we once had? Fortunately for us, uh, we have God's Word to turn to. And for the first century... Uh, Christianity was not even existent, really. And it was just getting off the ground. And so Jesus' teachings to his first followers, it was this grassroots thing. It was this thing that was starting from scratch. They had no influence in the community. And so we can turn to the words of Jesus as a way of kind of seeing a way forward for us. Because in a lot of ways, Uh, our diminishing voice in culture, our diminishing voice in the community that surrounds us uh, provides us an opportunity to look back at what Christ said. And so I want to invite you to follow along on the screen. We're going to read, this is from Matthew chapter 5, 
uh, verses 13 through 16. Uh, and it's kind of a classic scripture that you might have heard before, but it says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And these are beautiful words. These are words that that point us towards God's will for us as a a people, uh, us as individuals, us as the church, because it reminds us that we have a role that extends beyond just our own personal spiritual walk. It extends beyond that, and it's a call to be something for the world. Recently, I read a book, uh, and when I say read a book, I mean I skimmed a book. And uh, this is a book that I should have just read because it's kind of short, but it's called Autopsy of a Deceased Church, which is a very morbid title, I know. Uh, but Autopsy of a Deceased Church, and it's by a guy named Tom Rainer, who uh, I believe he's the president of Lifeway, or, or one of the big wigs with Lifeway. And he does a lot of church research, and he does a lot of writing about trends that are going on in the church world today. And what he talks about in this book is different signs that he has seen in churches that have closed their doors, or churches that look like they're about to close their doors. And he's gone and he's met with these churches, and he's kind of developed a profile of these are the standard things that you see in churches that die out. And so, He talks about these different things, and I'm not going to go through all of them. Um, It's a pretty short book if you want to pick it up and read through it. But there there were a few that stood out to me as I was looking at it uh, and and thinking about our role as a church within our community. Um, One of the things that deceased churches did before their slow decline and death is they, they dwelled on the past. All they wanted to think about was the glory days, and they all hearkened back to a time when things were different, a time when things were, were better, when people were feel, filling the seats. And so people hearken back to those times, and they gravitate towards them, and, and they're opposed to any sort of change that would move them forward because they think that the only way that they'll experience life again is if they do things exactly like they did before. Uh, and they don't realize that that's just creating more and more momentum towards their decline. Another thing that deceased churches have as a trend is they they stopped relating to their community around them. They stopped looking to the community around them as as an opportunity to minister and an opportunity to impact people. And furthermore, they tended to turn inward. They tended to think only about themselves, and, and the programming that they did was only for the people that were already within the door. Already for the, always for the people who were already filling the seats with nothing intentional being done to reach beyond the walls and to reach other people. And I believe that Matthew's gospel, these principles of the salt and light, uh, help give us a blueprint for how to avoid that fate 
for how to live into uh, a mission that's forward-thinking, a mission that calls us beyond our walls to try to impact the community around us. Um, because everything that we're trying to do right now as a church, uh, we're, we're doing not just to, to make this place better, but we're, we're doing it so that we can continue to draw more people in and we continue to send more people out so that we continue to impact the community that surrounds us. And there, there are these two metaphors that Jesus gives for what he calls his disciples to be in the world. The first is salt. And salt, in this context, there, there are a lot of different purposes that salt might have. But salt, in this instance, um, if you go back to the original language, indicates that it's a flavoring mechanism. We are called to be a flavoring mechanism. Uh, last week, uh, we recently at my house began participating in a farm share thing where we get some fresh veggies every week, and uh, you pay a certain amount, and you get a box full of food every week um, that's locally grown, it's fresh, it's good stuff. And I was extremely excited because this past week we got collard greens, and I love collard greens. Uh, and there is nothing uh, better in the world to me than, than just like this huge plate full of collards. I, it's just one of my favorite foods in all the world. But when you make collards, um, there's a certain bit of doctoring you have to do when you make collards. There's a certain degree of kind of mixing in some things that may not be healthy into a green that should be healthy uh, so that you can get the right flavor for it. And uh, my wife uh, is morally opposed to those things that make collards good. And so uh, we don't make them often. We don't make them often. Uh, but we were excited when it was in our farm share box. And I was pumped about making collards. And because we don't make them often, I don't always remember what seasonings you should put in with it in addition to the good stuff that we shall not speak of. And so I was kind of you know, scrolling through my phone, looking up a few different recipes, and I came across one, and I saw that it called for this enormous amount of salt. And I said, that's odd. That seems like way too much salt. But I was like, ah, whatever, I don't make these that often. Maybe they are supposed to be really salty. And so I put in the way too much amount of salt. And uh, Emma was off doing, doing another activity that night, and, and she was on her way home, and I'm trying to get dinner ready, and I know she's getting close, and so I, I decide, all right, I'm going to taste it and make sure I'm on the right track. And I tasted one little leaf of collard greens, and it was like I had poured the salt shaker straight down my throat. I mean, it was just insane how salty the collards were. And so I did what anyone should do in this situation. I dumped out the pot, put in fresh water, started over, okay? And then I tasted one, and it was like I had poured a salt shaker straight down my throat. And so I dumped out the water, I put in fresh water, and I continued cooking, and then I tasted one. And you know what it tasted like? I had poured a salt shaker straight down my throat. And finally, Emma gets home and comes to the rescue and says, let's pour it in a colander. Let's rinse it for like 20 minutes. We, we didn't really rinse it that long. Uh, but we rinsed it for a couple of minutes, and then we put it back in the pot, heated it back up to the right temperature, 
And finally, it was edible. But it was this reminder that salt makes an impact. It was a reminder that salt has a way of when there's a lot of salt involved in something, you notice it. When there's a lot of salt involved in something, it, it, you can't help but notice it. And salt, you can't always see it, but when it's fulfilling its purpose, which is to be salty, to provide flavor, it makes an impact, and you notice the impact that it has. And that is one of the things that, that Jesus calls us to be in the world, is salt. To be folks that go out there and bring an extra sense of life into the world. And, and one of the things, I'm not a huge salt fan, but one of the things I love about salt is salt brings out other flavors within whatever you're cooking. Um, and so you, just a little bit of salt can accent the, the flavor in the right kind of way. And, and that's kind of what we're called to do in the world, is we're kind of called to bring out the good that's in the world, to bring life to the world and make a positive impact. Now, the other metaphor that Jesus uses is that of light, that we should be a light before all men, before all mankind, before all humanity. And part of that means that we go and we shine in dark places. And if you, you look at the world today and you, you think about just the nature of the gospel in the world today, um, in 2005, George Barna, who's a big research, church research guy, he, he predicted that by 2015 in America, half the people that were in churches in 2005 would no longer be in churches in 2015. Um, and we're still a little few months away from that. <clears throat> but up until a couple of years ago, it was following that pattern. And, and so there's a role and a call on us to continue to bring light into the world. Because the world, if you turn on the news, if you spend much time in conversation with folks that are in the world, there's a lot of darkness in the world. There's a lot of opportunity for us to make an impact. And one of the things we did as a church about a month ago is we spent uh, an entire month focusing on our role in missions in the community. Um, because that's one of the ways that we go and we make an impact and we shine that light is by going and impacting the world around us and shining light into dark places. Because light changes things. Light has a positive impact. Well, then... After Jesus gives these metaphors, he makes an interesting shift. And uh, we're, we're going to look at just one verse that follows. This is verse 20. That after he talks about the salt and the light, he starts talking about the law. And he says, I, I didn't come to abolish what's been long-standing. Instead, I came to fulfill it. And then he makes this statement. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the interesting thing about this statement is that the Pharisees were probably the most righteous people walking around. They did everything right. They followed all the rules. They even created more rules so they would have more rules to follow, and they followed them too. They were doing so many things right. They were so righteous. And then Jesus makes this bold statement, unless your righteousness is better than that, 
you're not going to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? Well, as the Pharisees had developed all these rules, as they had focused on what it meant to be righteous, they had kind of turned inwards. They had come to a place where they were looking completely at their own faith and not caring about what was going on around them and not worrying about impacting the world around them. And so for us to have righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees, it's a call on our lives to not just do things for ourselves, but to do things for those that are around us, to do things for those that that we may not have even met yet, but to live our lives in such a way that we impact the world around us uh, and we don't focus completely on ourselves. Remember the, the call of the salt, the call to be salt was that it would be salt for the earth, not salt for our individual lives, not salt for the church, but salt for all of the earth. The call to be a light was not just to be a light in worship where we all gather together every week and we pat each other on the back and say, good job, we did our Christian duty for the week. But the call to be light is that we would be light for the world, that the world would see the church and their hearts would be turned towards God. So the question is, how does this relate to the project that we're going through right now? Uh, Our revisioning project, um, it's a capital campaign we've been going through a message series that goes along with it, uh, is an effort that we have to raise uh, $1.2 million over the course of three years uh, to do a complete renovation of pretty much everything on our church property uh, inside the walls of this church. And so it might seem confusing that this entire message is about turning outward when this entire project is about things on the inside. Our vision as a church is that this would be an outpost for ministry. That this would be a place where we we nurture the lives of Christians and send them out to the world. And a lot of times when churches go through difficult times, they they turn inward and they turn to a place where uh, all they think about is sustainment and sustaining the folks that are here and sustaining themselves. Uh, But we have a desire as a church, the church leadership has has grown in excitement over the course of the past year, that that's not going to be us. That we're going to move forward and we're going to continue to try to reach folks in this community. We're going to continue to impact our community around us. And, And part of the way that we do that is when you can blend together the right programming with the right environment for ministry, Uh, You can do incredible things, and it can become a place within the community that people are drawn to, uh, to experience life and to experience the grace of God. Uh, Fifteen years ago, uh, roughly, about 14, 15 years ago, the building that we're sitting in um, through the stewardship of this church was built. And uh, this room opened up, and the youth room below here opened up. And a few years after that, we, we gave the old fellowship hall, um, old as in 1988. Some people still call it the new fellowship hall, which is confusing for all of us. But we gave that to our children's ministry um, and said, here's this big wide open space where you can go uh, and have fun 
and do the ministry that you feel called to do. And over time, the role of the church changes, and over time, the role of ministry changes, and over time, the way that we interact with the community changes. We can't continue to do the same things we did uh, 15 years ago, 100 years ago, and expect the same results because the world around us is changing. And so part of this project is how can we repurpose our space? How can we change our space around so that it will meet the needs of reaching our community, that it will meet the needs of creating the right environment for ministry? And this is why I believe that this all makes sense. And this is why I believe it can have a positive impact on the community and why I believe it can reach more people for Christ is because when this building opened in 2000, I was in high school. Or actually, I think it opened in 99, 99, 2000, somewhere in there. When this building opened, I was in high school. And I was a part of um, a church I'd grown up in. I, I went there on Sunday mornings, and there was a church that I went to for youth ministry on Sunday nights. And those churches had kind of gone through some changes, and I was looking for a place to kind of lay my roots and to grow in my faith. I felt like I kind of plateaued, and, and I wasn't going to keep growing. And this church had built a building with this room that was a perfect venue for contemporary worship, which was something that excited me, something that inspired me, uh, that I could come here on Sunday morning and experience the kind of worship we still do today in this room. And they had created a space specifically for the youth ministry that was set up exactly for the needs of the youth ministry of that day. And around that same time, there was this group of guys at my high school that were a part of this church. And as the year went on, my senior year, um, folks began to notice that there was something different about this group. There was something about this group that, that was inspiring, and, and it had this kind of flavor to it that kind of impacted the, the folks that were part of my friend group. And all of a sudden, everyone in my friend group all of a sudden was coming here. And we were all participating in worship here. And we were all participating in the youth program here. And there, there was one night when all of our graduating class was sitting around in a room. Um, and there were like 25 of us there. And that wasn't even all of them. And it was this incredible movement where the right group of folks that were committed to being the salt and light of the community, which for them happened to be their high school, with the right environment, came together, and it became the, this magnet for ministry where a lot of our lives were changed. And as part of that, uh, there was this guy who was a little hairy named Jeremy Hammock who uh, came, who hadn't really been part of the church, and he became part of the church and uh, committed his life to Christ and became involved in the ministry. And over the years, Jeremy has done great things um, leading our youth in worship. And uh, his most important contribution to our church was he married Liz and brought Liz to be a, a part of our staff um, after they had gotten married. And then she has taken over our children's ministry and is breathing new life into that ministry. Uh, and there's a guy who I had known for years that was part of our friend group named Chris Higdon. And, and Chris 
helped raise a lot of the kids that are in our youth group now as he ministered with the children's ministry. And he became a part of this youth ministry because it was just this group of friends that were drawing people together. They were excited about what was going on here. And it became contagious, and the group just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. Because when salt is salty, it has a chance to make an impact. And that impact is, may not just be something that's immediate. But there were folks in that group who, who have gone into full-time ministry. There were folks in that group who, who continue to be awesome volunteers in our ministries here as a church. There are folks in that group who have ordinary jobs like most of you, uh, but they're living as a light in their surroundings and breathing life into the world. And so my hope for this church is that this step we take can be an opportunity uh, to breathe life into our community, to breathe life and to look outward and say, how can we continue to be salt and light in this community? If we do it for ourselves, we're going to become a monument. But if we do it with how can we do ministry so that we can continue to reach more people for Christ and reach this community in a powerful way, and we do that in the name of Jesus, I believe that God will honor that, and I believe that more lives will continue to be changed. And I I raise my own story not to dwell on the past, um, because I believe that we can't do things exactly like we did then uh, and have the same results. But I believe that this principle of salt and light, of when it becomes contagious, when we flavor the world around us, when we shine our light for all the world to see, that has the opportunity to impact the world. And so our question as a church is, do we want to be a monument or do we want to be a mission? Do we want to be a place that's a mission, that's an outpost for ministry, a place that, that is a, a city on a hill, a lamp that cannot be hidden, salt that flavors the community around us. I believe if, if we choose as a church to step forward and say, we want to continue to reach this community, we want to continue to reach people for Christ, uh, that, that God's going to honor that. And our lives will be changed through it, and the lives of many others will be changed through it. And 5, 10, 15 years from now, more lives will be changed through it. So I invite you as we get ready for next Sunday, as we get ready to think about uh, the commitments that we'll make to uh, the changes that are going to take place around here, um, I invite you to reflect on our role as a church and your role as part of it.